And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord, when thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them when thou numberest them. This they shall give every one that passeth among them that are numbered half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty giras. A half a shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. Every one that passeth among them that are numbered from twenty years old and up above shall give an offering unto the Lord. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your soul. And thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shalt appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. Now, whenever money is mentioned in a sermon, people start getting nervous. Uh, Well, let me address the elephant in the room from the off. This will not be a sermon on giving, at least not in giving that we typically think. Uh, This passage here does not uh, tell you how much you ought to give. Instead, uh, this is about something else. It's about uh, the topic that surrounds this uh, gift and this census. Uh, This event, this census, is about atonement. And the money involved represents a token in that event. It is so important to remember that the the purpose of this part of Scripture, Moses is receiving instructions from the Lord on Sinai about the Torah, the covenant between God and his people and the responsibilities therein. And these instructions center on worship. We often hear the word Torah, we often think about law, and think about a list of rules and regulations. And I find it instructive that that uh, the Lord tells Moses to go up on Sinai and that he will give him instruction about the Torah, about the law, and what he gives them is the instructions on how to build the tabernacle. For worship reveals the character, nature, and attributes of the Lord and how his people are to copy and mimic him. And unless we keep this firmly in mind, we will find ourselves seeing only legal requirements that deal only with the finances of the temple. But instead, this passage demonstrates how all the elements in this event paint a picture that ought to bring joy to the hearts of God's people as they see His grace made manifest in us. The offering here involves a census, a counting of the people. Here, the people counted are those who are notionally eligible for military service. But interestingly, the concept of military service does not appear in this passage at all. It does when uh, the first census, the first numbering is uh, mentioned in Scripture, that in Numbers chapter 1. Take ye the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel after their families by the house of their fathers, with the number of their names, every male by their poles, from twenty years upward, all that are able to go forth unto war in Israel. But because this idea, this this instruction is lacking in this passage, I find that to be very persuasive. That something more than military service provides the purpose for this census. In this event, we will focus on that what the, what the, which the passage focuses on, the offering. And here I want to look at three aspects of the offering, that the plague of the offering, the portion of the offering, and the purpose of the offering. 
the plague of the offering, the portion of the offering, and the purpose of the offering. The Lord begins by a discussion of the census. The language presumes the existence of the census and the condition the offering avoids. The Lord seems to anticipate the inevitability of the census here in verses 11 and 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number. The use of the term when in transition is in this in translation is nearly uniform. It's not when, it's not if, it is when you take a census. Or uh, the message. You don't usually hear someone giving the message credence, but actually here the message has probably one of the most accurate uh, translations of what the Hebrew says. When you take a head count, because the Hebrew actually says, when you lift up the heads of the children of Israel. And while military use of the census is what appears most frequently in Scripture, Rarely, and I would say probably never, does it appear in the context of the regulations that are mentioned here in this passage. We may assume that they were followed, but such may not have been the case. And we will consider in 2 Samuel 24 uh, its position in this discussion. For these reasons, I wonder, I speculate, if this was not a regular occurrence that was not a part of military service. Considering the purpose of the prophets from this event, spoiler alert, they are to be given for the upkeep of the tabernacle, could you assume that it was only done when censuses are mentioned in the Old Testament? But I'll I'll delve more into conjecture later. For now, let us look at the condition that is avoided in the offering. You see that in verse 12. Then shall every man give a ransom for his soul unto the Lord when thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them when thou numberest them. We see here the concepts both of ransom for the soul and of plague. And at this point, we have to look at the story in 2 Samuel 24. We're getting there eventually in our reading on on Sunday evenings, but for those of you who have forgotten the story, the Lord is stirring up David again because David has done something wrong or, or something has happened, and David decides that he wants to take a census. He wants to take a military census. And Joab, usually not the one that you would think of as being the one to give good advice to David. He usually is kind of a military hard-headed guy. In fact, he is such a firebrand that David tells Solomon not to let Joab go to his death in peace. Uh, something that Solomon takes on and executes. But Joab comes to David in an astonishing switch of his character and says, David, don't do this. You don't need a, uh, to take a census. You're the most powerful guy. You don't need to do this. But the, the David insists that all of the military force in Israel be counted. And because he does that, because he does that, and God sends unto him a prophet telling him that he has made a mistake, he repents and he acknowledges his folly and his pride. And the Lord says, choose one of three things that will happen to you. Either you will flee before your enemies, or there will be pestilence, or there will be famine. And out of the three, David excludes one, basically. You can't really say he chooses one. He excludes one. He says, do not let me fall into the hands of my enemies. Let the Lord deal with me because he has compassion. As to these other guys, I don't know. 
And so there is a pestilence. There is uh, a pestilence that comes upon the people. And at the end of the, uh, the story, the angel, destroying angel, stops at the place where the temple will, will be built. David buys that plot of land. Uh, and there, the plague, uh, the Bible said, is stilled. And so you might think that that gives us an example of this statement, or this passage, uh, coming to pass. And yet, we have no connection with that. The plague that comes upon Israel due to this sin is purely on David himself, or David takes it upon himself alone. It is not because he has failed to, to follow a command of the Lord. It is because he did this out of folly, out of his pride. You also see this idea of ransom here. This word ransom here is, uh, uses a cognate word, a word that has the same root letters as the word atonement. It seems connected to the idea of ransom that uh, began in Israel in the, at the ransom of the firstborn. The idea of the Levites as a ransom, the, the idea of a sacrifice as a ransom for the firstborn, which is, was in Israel. Outside the concept of military service, this census seems to connect to the con- concept of atonement and the counting of God's people. Those who participate in the census by offering indicate their desire to be counted as part of God's people, the holy nation. There is an idea that this token, which cannot, as you understand it, make true ransom for their souls or true atonement for their souls, it indicates, though, their desire to be a part of God's people, to be counted. Our participation in the people of God, our being counted as citizens of heaven, has nothing to do these days with the payment of a coin. Instead, we are counted because Christ has paid for us. And yet, just as Israel of old, we have a duty to assent to this identification. You see, paying that coin back in the day, according to this passage, did not make someone a part of Israel. They were already a part of Israel. They were already a a part of the people of God. So we are called to make our position in Christ known. We too are to say, I want to be identified with God's people. And we do this in various ways. We profess our faith in Christ and join his church. We show up on the Lord's Day professing that we are God's people. We participate in daily worship of reading and prayer as part of God's people. We participate in the sacraments, and by participating in the sacraments, we are saying we are the people of God. We confess the faith with creed. So every time we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, we are saying we are, want to be counted as the people of God. We confess Christ to a lost and dying world, and by that event, proclaim our desire to be identified with God's people. And sometimes we do no better than to tell people, I am a Christian, being willing to bear the reproach of that name. And sometimes that is enough to start a conversation. It is important for us to make it plain who we are, the offering of our identity, that we are not a part of those who are plagued. We see the plague of the offering, but secondly, we see the portion of the offering. As we look at the census, 
you see the offering that is leveled on all the participants. And I want us to see the amount to be collected and those who are to be counted. The Lord legislates the amount to be charged during the census in verse 13. This they shall give every one that passeth among them that are numbered half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 giras. Half a shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. Here we see the use of the idea to pass by. The use of this word or verb to pass by may indicate that the census taker stands in his spot and as people pass by, they give the offering uh, to the census taker as they are, they're walking by them being counted. We find also the amount to be levied at half a shekel. Now, this has caused a lot of questions because the original meaning of a shekel was a, a, a unit of weight rather than a coinage. In fact, coinage is supposed to have only arisen many years after this event in Sinai. So if it is a weight, then what is to be weighed out? The best guesstimate at what this weighed was about five to six grams. And most commentators speculate that it was some precious metal, and even though no precious metal is here mentioned. And certain metals would have Uh, been used as mediums of exchange. And the most popular metal to be guessed at is that of silver. Now, you can do your own research, but the last time I researched it this week, the price of silver at five to six grams would equal about 10 bucks. If if bronze, another precious metal that might have been used for this, uh, as a medium of exchange, at that weight, it would only be worth about a dime. And I use these current values to give you an idea because it's very hard to translate modern prices to historic uh, usage, inflation and and ideas of that. But usually uh, precious metals oftentimes carry out uh, some idea of what uh, the buying power was back to the Israelite in the day. And my point here is that this is not all that expensive. The Lord next defines the set that will participate in the census. Who who will be counted? Who will participate in this offering? Look at verse 14. Everyone that passeth among them that are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. This is the age that mimics that which we find in Numbers 1 with the omission of military service. Those who are able to go to war is what Numbers 1 says, and that is conspicuous by its absence here. Instead, these men seem to stand for their family units. And I think many commentators fail to consider this possibility in their interpretation of this series of elements because they are so wrapped up in the idea of military service. The fact that censuses were often taken for this very purpose. But to me, it seems that the universality of the offering appears here. The immediate context to the Day of Atonement points to this connection, that all of Israel participates in that atoning work. The priest, when he goes in to the mercy seat, when he puts that that blood upon the horns of the altar of incense, that statement, that event that is clearly in view in, in verse 10, immediately preceding this passage, is he does that for the entire nation. 
And here, each and every family unit participates in the census and the offering. Now, we might not recognize that because we are living in a day and age where marriage is uh, deferred and family is deferred uh, later and later. But in a day and age where marriage often was conducted in the teen years, we may have understanding understanding well that uh, this involves, that this census encompasses all the family units of Israel. The predominant explanation for the census is military aid and the financing of the tabernacle. Spoiler alert, yes, this is for the tabernacle, but we haven't gotten there yet. But even in the midst of these comment topics, we find uh, commentators being rather confused. Consider the argument of one commentator, James Durham. He writes, it is located where it is. The passage is located, no doubt, because of the reference to the atonement and the instructions of the altar of incense, though its real purpose was to ensure the financing of the tabernacle and the worship carried on there. Later, he says, what seems clear is that that the support of the tabernacle is the primary reason for the inclusion of this instruction in its present form and location. So in one sentence, he says that it's here because of the atonement. In the next sentence, it's here because of the financing of the tabernacle. So he doesn't really know why it's here. In the, using the census and numbers as a baseline, if you're thinking about the, you know, how much it would be uh, for the raising of the tabernacle, in numbers it has over 600,000 people. If you work that out in 10, for $10 in silver, it'd be like $6 million uh, or $60,000 if they were using bronze coinage. While the funds would be used for the tabernacle, I find the placement here more indicative of the atonement than financial support. If you look at how often financial support is mentioned in this passage compared to how often atonement is mentioned in this passage, I think you have the clear idea that this is situated in the idea of atonement. That all God's people participate in the Day of Atonement. All God's people need forgiveness of sins. Again, they didn't give in order to be a part of God's people. They gave because they wanted to participate as God's people. They recognized that the atonement happened on the mercy seat, but they wanted to be a part of it. They were giving because they were saying, what happens on the mercy seat applies to me. You see, my friend, you cannot buy yourself entrance into heaven. You cannot buy membership into God's people for the price is too high. It costs something more than 10 bucks. It costs something more than a dime. It costs something more than all of the riches of the world. It costs something infinitely precious. It costs the blood of the Son of God. We owe not money to God. We owe death. For death is the price of sin, as Romans 6.23 tells us. And since we could not pay and live, God, out of his unconditional love, sent Jesus to die for his people. Jesus is God, come as a human, who lived a sinful life, who died upon the cross, condemned not for his own crimes, but for the sins of his people. And he rose from the dead the third day to prove the full payment that we deserve, that we may not die but live, that we may live forever in heaven if we believe in Jesus, 
and Jesus offers himself to you. Do you believe that what he did, he did for you? I urge you to turn from sin and follow him today. We see the plague of the offering. We see the portion of the offering. And finally, I want us to see the purpose of the offering. The Lord reiterates the purpose of the offering by repeating it twice in these last two verses. The offering is to make atonement for your souls. Some, ha- some commentators have argued, and I saw this and I just about, my jaw almost hit the floor, that in the life of the soldier, when you're putting your life at risk, oftentimes the pagans made a, an offering to their gods as they were going off to war, that they would stay safe during war, and this has something of the same ilk. And I thought, no, 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 no. This is, has everything to do with the idea of atonement that is taking place on the mercy seat. We have to two aspects of the atonement that the Lord emphasizes here, the aspect of equality and memory. The Lord emphasizes the equality for all people below the cross. Look at verse 15. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when they give an offering to the Lord to make an atonement for their souls. The rich pay no more, the poor pay no less. There is one wage, one price, one cost of sin, one remedy for all of life, and it had nothing to do with the coins that were given for the temple. It had everything to do with the blood of Christ upon the cross. Unless we think this is overly taxing the poor, remember how little, I think, uh, this offering would be. From a dime to ten bucks. And now all of this is speculative, but even the text seems to indicate the small value of the offering that is attached to the census. Both rich and poor have an opportunity to participate in the finances of the tabernacle. Both rich and poor have an opportunity to participate in the atonement, and both equally share. So that the rich cannot claim excessive generosity, and the poor cannot claim that they were excluded. The rich cannot lord it over the poor, for the poor can claim equal participation in the work, in the tabernacle. For wealth has nothing to do with atonement. Grace matters. And our union with Christ and participation in what he has done matter. More we see the use of the census levy attached to memorial. Look at verse 16. And thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your soul. This money is given for the service of the tabernacle. We may assume that it is for the upkeep, for the repairs, and for other ancillary costs not common to the other requirements of Israel such as sacrifices, offering, and incense. There were other things that Israel was supposed to provide and give uh, both to the tabernacle and to the priesthood. This is not the totality of what Israel is to give. Rather, it is pointing to their participation in the atonement. This connection with the atonement, I believe, bears our attention. We have the final phrase that might even be called a causal connection, that this memorial is given up to the Lord in order to make atonement for their souls. And read within the context of the preceding passage, it crosses my mind that this might have been a yearly occasion. 
Perhaps the census occurred every year on the Day of Atonement. You see, the people of Israel, every man in Israel was only supposed to go to the place where God had chosen to put his name, the place where the tabernacle was, to Jerusalem three times a year. Passover, uh, the Pentecost, day, the Festival of Weeks, the, and the, fe the Feast of Tabernacles. Not the Day of Atonement, oddly enough. And you might think the Day of Atonement stands so large in our minds that everyone had to go there for that. You didn't. So perhaps this event, this census is given so that people who don't come to the tabernacle still feel like they are a part, still indicate their participation in the Day of Atonement when they are afflicting their souls, as it says in Leviticus 16, 29, and 31. The nation was remembering what it took for man to dwell in the presence of God, what it takes for anyone to be a part of the covenant people. They're remembering what the atonement means, that they are sinners and that the blood of the sacrifice has to cover that sin. Once a year, we celebrate Easter. Once a year, we remember the death, the resurrection of Christ. And once a year is not enough. In fact, we remember the death and resurrection of our Savior every Lord's Day. We meet on the first day of the week, the day upon which our Lord raised from the, rose from the dead. We remember what it takes for us to approach the holy God of Israel the one who has chosen us, we remember what it took for us to be a part of God's people. Now I want to say a, a word about giving. It'll be a brief word because this is not a message about giving. This is a message about the atonement. But giving for God's people is not an option, and I know most of you know this. It's not about, this passage is not about how much you give, because everyone is charged the same thing. It's about your participation in the work of God. Why do we give? This, not a, this passage is not here to tell us how much to give. This is, passage is here to tell us why we give. We give because we want to be a part. And whether you give one penny or a million, it's all about wanting to be a part of what God is doing. Wanting to be identified with Christ's people. But again, this passage isn't about giving, it's about the atonement. It's about the truth of our new life. It's about the reality that we are identified with Christ in that atonement. It's about living differently because of what Jesus has done. Giving our life in more than one ways. Paul puts it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live by the flesh, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live in the reality of the crucifixion. And by coming here day by day, by giving what we give, by giving of our time, by identifying and choosing to identify with God's people, we are identifying with the cross of our Savior. We're identifying with his cross in which we die to self so that we may live to him. We live by faith in the one who died for us, but more who loved us and gave himself for us. 
And today you have been reminded about your participation in Christ's atonement. A participation that isn't measured by how much you put in the offering plate. A participation that is measured by your attachment and your love for the one who has loved you. And what are you going to do about it? How will your understanding of the atonement and your participation in the atonement change the way you live today, tomorrow, the next week? Will you, like, Christ, like Paul, choose to live by faith? Will you live professing your connection to God's people before a lost world? Will you order your life according to holiness? Will you live as if the one who made atonement matters to you? Let's pray together. Lord, our hearts shock us at our carelessness toward the cross, our forgetfulness of the atonement. And yet, our cold hearts do not shock you, for you have seen them from before the foundation of the world. And you have loved us, choosing, choosing to love us despite our darkest sin, choosing to love us unconditionally. And so we pray that you would help us respond to love. For you, we love you because you have first loved us. Help us to profess you to others, to the world. Remind us of your sacrifice given to atone for our sins. Give us holiness by your Spirit. Hear our prayer this morning for Jesus' sake. Amen.